Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. Well, let's open your Bibles uh, <clears throat> to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. So we talked a little bit about last week. Um, we kind of went through Hebrews uh, really quick, uh, uh, like 7, 8, 9, and 10. Uh, and the reason we did that is to get uh, the context of, a little bit of the context of Hebrews chapter 11. And when we were talking, you know, it, it was a lot about in, in those earlier chapters of Hebrews, it was really talking about, you know, the, the heavenly sanctuary, uh, Jesus as our sacrifice, Jesus being a high priest. And <coughs> remember what we talked about is like if you were a, a Hebrew back in the day, this New Testament thing would have been kind of like, Whoa, what does this really mean? Because you've been so tied to the law and you've been so tied to the sacrificial system of the old covenant. Hearing that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and that you no longer have to go to that earthly sanctuary because of what he's done in the heavenly sanctuary, that would probably need a little bit of explaining and understanding to, at that time to them, right? It's not, it's, we've grown up with the idea of it. Right, us. You know, if you're a Gentile of, of that day, you're like, "Oh, cool, that's awesome." But if you were a, a, a Hebrew of that day, it would have taken some explaining, and that ex- explanation is not coming from, you know, like Paul's own heart, because I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, but that's just me. Uh, it would not be coming, or a disciple of Paul, it would not be coming from just, you know, their their knowledge. It's co- he's taking them through the Old Testament scriptures to telling them and showing them why Jesus is who he says he is and the things he fulfills and now his place in uh, eternity and here on earth, right? And so (coughs) it's good for us to rehash that stuff uh, and go through that. And it's good to take this all in context because if, if you don't put it in context, you'll read something like this. For if we, if we deliberately sin after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and a furry fire about to consume its adversaries. Okay, good night, everybody. If you read that scripture outside the context of and the framework of what it's been put into, we're all doomed and going to hell because we all have sinned deliberately after we've received Jesus at one point. Your flesh got in the way and you did something. So if you read this scripture and just read the scripture outside of the context that has been placed in, uh, you'll have a, you'll give up. You, what's, why do you need to have faith then? We've all failed. And Jesus didn't come to earth and die on a cross so that you could sin once and go to hell. What a waste of a savior. Just condemn us all and be done with it because <clears throat> we're going to fail. So that's not the scripture. What the scripture is saying is not that we're just, he's given you one shot and if you blow it, it's over. Because that's not what the rest of the New Testament says. And we know that scripture does not, you know, it, it, it flows in one theme. And so you look at the scripture in the context of what he's saying. And in reality, he's just gone through this. He's like, listen, if you, if you try to find salvation outside of Jesus, there's no, there's no more sacrifice coming. He's it. You're not going to go back to the old sacrificial system and get saved. None of that's going to work. There's nothing outside of the sacrifice of Jesus that will put you in right standing with Jesus. And look what he says here. And if you look on, he goes on to say, as in verse 28 of chapter 10, if anyone disregards Moses' law, he dies without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. <clears throat> How much worse punishment do you think? Uh, one, those, do you think... One will deserve who has trampled the Son of God, regarded as profane, the blood of the covenant which he has sanctified and insulted the spirit of grace, right? That's, that's not a, that's not a, I don't know, one-time thing. That's a thing where you've, you've uh, maybe you were, a Christ, you were trying to follow Jesus and all of a sudden you're like, I ain't doing that anymore. I'm, I'm not going that way. And we've, probably most of us in the room have known people that were with us that are no longer with us because they've di- decided to reject everything. Now, you can throw that up in the, in the air and decide, well, were they ever really with us? Blah, blah, blah. It doesn't, I don't know that that really matters or helps. 
the reality of it is, is we all know people that have rejected it. And there's no salvation outside of what Jesus has already done. There's not a second salvation. He's not going to go to the cross twice. He's not going to rise from the grave twice. He's done it. And the good news for them is that it's once for all instead of yearly day of atonement <coughs> or when you've sinned, you've got to come and, and bring your stuff before the priest and whatever you've done. You don't have to do that anymore because you have the high priest, the Lamb of God, who has died once for all. That means no, whatever sin you have committed has been dealt with on the cross. And the struggle we have as, as believers, even as believers, but especially outside uh, the world, the struggle we have is really believing that that's true for us <clears throat> because we, we know how bad we've been. We, we know how cranky we can be. We know, you know, if, I, if you talk to me before that first cup of coffee in the morning, you could get slapped. All that different kinds of stuff, right? <clears throat> you know, all those different kinds of things. And so, um, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> we know that this is about really rejecting and not living in the truth of, of, of what the Bible says about who Jesus is. Okay? Now, that may seem intolerant, but it's not intolerant. It's the greatest love letter you'll ever get from the God who created you, adopted you, and desires to spend eternity with you and has shown you the way to do it. That's, that's, and he stands at the, he stands there with his arms open wide saying, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the era of grace where all who call upon his name can be saved. So he's, he's not intolerant. He's not looking at people according to race, according to uh, size, or anything else. He's not, he, it doesn't matter what you look like, where you were born, or anything like that. He stands open for all, arms open wide for all, and saying, anybody who calls on my name can come. Anybody, anybody, call on my name. Because he is the, the way, the truth, and the life. He is salvation for all, right? Okay, so because of that, we have a hard time with that too because we like to mix our works in that as well. Um, and that's why you get so many of this. It's, you know, uh, the Bible talks about faith alone, Jesus, sacrifice for sins. <clears throat> See, Jesus was so holy, he didn't need to add anything else to salvation. I didn't know if you knew that. Which means it wasn't the fact that, okay, you are saved. Because in, in, the, in the New Testament, Jews would come in and say, oh, well, it's Jesus and the law, or it's Jesus and circumcision. And today, we, you, I've talked about this before, we do the same thing in different circles when we say it's Jesus and uh, baptism. It's Jesus and, or water baptism. It's Jesus and the right type of theology. It's Jesus and the right type of eschatology, which is end times. It's Jesus and this. When you add and to Jesus, that is trampling a sacrifice, okay? <clears throat> and that is dangerous. And right now, there are people probably throwing stuff at the TV because I said water baptism. So you gotta be water baptized. You can't get saved. Ugh. I would suggest you do get water baptized. I would suggest that it's very important. But I would not add that to salvation. I certainly wouldn't. It's more important that you be, the, the, a lot of the baptism that they're talking about is you being baptized into Christ. Yes, because that's salvation. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> and we have a hard time with this. Why do we have a hard time with this? Because we'd rather try and follow rules that we can't really follow because it makes us feel better. At least we tried. You know? I was like, I came pretty close to being holy. I scored, uh, you know, four out of ten on keeping the commandments. That's pretty good for me, right? Jesus got to look at my effort and say, wow, good job. Four out of ten. My goodness. Richard only kept two. You're so much better than him. Right? Comparison thinking in the kingdom. It works so well. It does not. The only comparison in the kingdom is um, comparing the sacrifice of Christ. Let me tell you something. It's, it's worthy. It, it can take care of it. All right? So he's dealing with all this stuff and, and what he's got to do. And now he says, <coughs> at the crux of all of this that we're going through, the thing he's going to talk about now is faith. Because they're going to have to accept by faith that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he did so that they can lay aside the old covenant of coming to the, 
I mean, I mean, my goodness, in what, 70 AD, the entire, the entire sacrificial system in the temple is destroyed. So if, if, if it was that important and it still needed to be done, the law and circumcision and sacrifice and stuff like that, there's a whole lot of people who went to hell because the temple was destroyed a long time ago. <clears throat> and that's not, that's not it. Okay? It's Jesus and Jesus only. He is our high priest. Okay, so, <coughs> so he's going to talk to these people and just say, listen, you've got to have faith in this. And now this is what's awesome is he's going to take them all the way back to all of the figures that they already, already know and have already almost worshipped. They called Abraham their father for crying out loud, <coughs> right? And so they're, they're, and Moses, numero uno, right? Big guy, big cheese, we love Moses, right? Even though they couldn't do and keep any of the things that Moses told them to do, Right? That's like, that's, like, that's like me walking up to an NBA player and saying, man, we did this thing. We won that game, right? You played, you sweat, you scored all the points, and I ate the popcorn and clapped. We're equal. I don't think so. All right. So faith. So he says, now this is what faith is. Now, now faith is the reality or, or excuse, let me get this real quick. I don't know. In, in this version right here, it says faith is the reality of what is hoped for. Now, some of yours uh, might be uh, a little different of a translation. This is a Holman translation right here. And I want to pull up uh, another one here. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, so now, uh, in this one, New King James Version, says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And probably some of your translations say similar to that, and, and the Holman or the CSB say it's the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. This is, the faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. <clears throat> when we look at this idea, when you look at the word uh, substance, uh, hypo, hypotasis, excuse me, it's this confidence, right? Uh, confidence or setting or placing under, a thing put under structure, a foundation, right? Faith is a foundation by which everything is going, that you're ever going to do in the kingdom is going to be launched from. If you don't have faith, nothing is going to work in your life. The good thing about God, right, is like you don't have to have a whole lot of faith. It can be a mustard seed to start with, but it shouldn't stay a mustard seed. Because that mustard seed, although it's the smallest seed, becomes the biggest bush, all of them all. So I think the reason he uses this idea of mustard seeds, like it can be small to begin with, but it's going to be the biggest thing that grows inside of you. <clears throat> it doesn't stay small. If your faith has stayed the same since you first believed, that means you haven't really progressed in the right direction. <clears throat> and so... This idea of, of faith, it's, it's, it's this confidence, this foundation, that even though I'm, I can't see the things in this physical reality, I am convinced and my faith is locked on on what Jesus said. And not just because of it's me, but I've also got the testimony of those who've come behind me and seen how God has provided. See, I get to see the beginning and the end of Abraham. And see how God has provided every step of the way. And from that, I, I, I believe I have faith, but then I latch hold of that testimonies of the fathers before us, or parents, or whoever who was before you, who maybe was walking and had a testimony, and trusting in God. I'm, I'm latching on my faith, and I'm, I'm, I'm believing the testimonies of the faithful, the ones in Scripture, auntie, uncle, whatever, grandma, grandpa, seeing how God has provided for them and latching on my faith. Listen, he provided for them. I can trust and believe he'll provide for me. <clears throat> I want to say this now. Um, you... The, pro the fulfilled promises that you have or, and are going to have, there, there's promises you're going to receive now on this earth, and then there's the promise of eternity that's coming that you'll see, right? And, and so when we go back here and we look at Abraham and all those guys, you have to understand there's promises that they received then, <clears throat> but they were the biggest promises that they're promises that they didn't see. They died before they saw them, but they died believing they would happen, okay? Which tells me this. 
the promises that you receive today and the promise that you're believing for is the blessing of the next generation. If you don't have faith for today and that today that God is going to do tomorrow, the generation that's coming up behind you has no testimony to work from. <clears throat> Are you hearing me? Okay, do you believe it? This is, testimony is important. And some of you are like, well, man, I, man, my, my family line is all about bars. I don't have a testimony. You got a Bible. And from this Bible, right, you may be the first one to start the testimony for family lines generations down the road. Maybe the story of faith starts with you, okay? So don't worry about what you don't have. Be excited about what you do and start from there and go forward, okay? I am blessed because I have a heritage of, of going to church, right? <clears throat> Being brought up and hearing the word. I didn't always like it. I didn't always want to go because Sunday nights, we had church on Sunday nights, and that's when that TV show 1999 was on with Martin Landau and the space stuff. You know, you ever watched that? It was in the 80s. It was really bad sci-fi, but for, you know, a eight, nine, ten-year-old, it was really cool. It came on all the time I wanted to go to church, right? We didn't have VCRs back then. And there, was a, there once was a day when you could not record anything. Just wanted you to know that. <clears throat> now you are recorded everywhere you go. And so, you know, there was things I wanted to do. You know, Sunday mornings, I kind of like to sleep in. But, man, you're up. You got to go to church. You got to get dressed. You got to look good. You got to go to Sunday school, and you got to go to church, and you better not act up. And, you know, and you better listen, and at least look like you're listening. Uh, <clears throat> and so on. And so, you know, I, you don't always like it at the time. And it's not always going to be sunshines and roses, this walk of faith that we're on. But you do the work you sow the seed, you reap the harvest in your life, okay? And so parents, bringing your kids to church, even though they don't, like, listen, it doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter that, I don't want to go to church today. Boy, you will go to church or you'll find my foot in the back of your britches. Now get up, right? <clears throat> we can't be so soft. It's like, well, if I force them to go to church, they're going to hate God. No, 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 if you don't force them to go to church, they're not going to know who God is. <clears throat> okay? So you're the parent, they're the child. You bring them to church. Every time it's open, bring them. He's like, well, we don't have something for them to do. People, I sat in pews. I got out of the nursery at like five or six and sat in pews. Now, I doodled here and there. I get that. I'm not a, don't worry about doodling. Doodling is fine because there's still stuff going in the ears, okay? And there's still stuff the spirit can latch on to. But be the parent, set the, set the tone, bring them to church, and if they're crying, this is what you say. I can make you cry a lot harder. <laughs> I can really give you a reason for crying, okay? I'm <clears throat> not saying that to be mean, but you set the tone. And where you set it is where they're launched from. Don't, don't, <laughs> we, wouldn't, we wouldn't do with school what we do with church, okay? You will get up and go to church and you will do, or you will get up and go to school and you will do your homework and you will do this and you will do that. But when it comes to church, which is, you know, the only thing that matters outside of eternity, we get a little lax. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. If we get to heaven, the Lord is not going to ask me or my son about math. He's going to ask me what I did with the son. Now, I'm not saying don't do good in school. Do good in school. Do your best. But understand, people, that there are spiritual things that are much more weightier than whether they get the A they're supposed to get. <clears throat> okay? By the way, there's no participation trophies in the kingdom of God. That's for free. Okay. <clears throat> So faith, it's that confidence of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For our ancestors, one, he says God's approval, this translation, uh, New King James, for our elders obtained a good testimony. 
by faith. Now listen, this is where he's going to start out. I want you, I don't know if you've ever seen it like this before, but I'm going to frame it like this, and maybe you have. Maybe I'm just behind, but that's okay. I want you to see how, how the writer, which I believe is Paul or a disciple, is going through line by line with the people in order and what he's doing with it. Okay, here we go. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made, were not made by the things which are visible, right? So he's saying, what you're seeing here hasn't been made by man. It's been made by God. Some of your things, worlds, will say universe. Some translations will say ages, okay? The Greek word for that word, worlds, or universe, or ages, is... uh, A-I-O-N, Aeon or something like that. But this is what it talks about. It says it's uh, forever an unbroken age um, of time, eternity, the world, universe, or period of time. So there's three things here. I'm telling you today, it's all of them. And I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. Yes, it's the universe that you see. Yes, it's the world in which we live in. And yes, it's the periods of times that have come on the earth. Okay? Notice what, um, notice what happens in today's culture. I sat down with a pastor a few years ago, and we were talking about the Bible. And he said, well, you got to understand that the Bible was written in this specific period of time. And, you know, we're here now, and things are different. And what he's saying is, and he was talking about he was talking, what he really was, was cultural Christianity. And what he was really, it, now listen, he, he believes in Jesus. But my, my question would be, is why do you believe in Jesus if you don't believe it's necessary, the Bible is necessary in its total form today? He's like, well, I, you know, we were talking about, uh, they were talking about a lot of things, you know, right down the line. And a lot of these things are major for today out in the culture. A lot of what people are screaming about and yelling about, whether it's on Facebook or anywhere you're at. And what they're saying is, you know, well, the Bible didn't really mean this, or, you know, it's a different time that we live in. The problem is, is that what the writer of Hebrews is saying, it's like, no matter what age upon the earth you're in, right? Read it again. For by faith, we understand that the worlds, the universe, the world we live in, and the times that have lasted upon the earth were framed by the word of God which means the word of God is the same today as it ever was in the day of the apostles, as it ever was when God said, let there be light. Okay? The word of God is the same no matter what age upon the earth you're living in. And if we get to Mars, or we put a base on the moon, the word of God is just as valid on the moon or the Mars or anywhere else, if I personally don't think we'll get there before Jesus comes back, but who knows? <clears throat> Regardless of where we go within the universe, it's all God's. And so don't start thinking because all of a sudden we're building a moon, a base on the moon or something like that, that, oh man, what does this mean about the Bible? That means that it's been framed by the word of God since the beginning of time. Man has always been trying to elevate himself to the level of God. My personal belief is space exploration is just another evidence of that. It may not be a, t- a tower of Babel in Iran or wherever, somewhere, but it's the same, me- it's the same mentality. They want to go to the stars and they want to plant a flag somewhere and say, look what I've done in the name of exploration. This is a pr- it's just a pride of man. It's like, we, if you're so prideful, why haven't we fixed all the problems on this? Why do you want to go mess up another planet? You, ain't, you haven't fixed anything on this one yet, right? <clears throat> if, the, if you're so prideful about what man can do, you haven't really solved any problems here today. Okay. The only, the only problem solving that can be done is when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom and makes a new heavens and a new earth. Problem solved. Okay, let's keep going here. So here's what, first he's going to start out with this. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts 
And even though he is dead, he still speaks through faith. Okay, so there, here's an eon of time, right? Cain and Abel. Why does Abel get a better thing? And this is simple. You know this. We've talked about this before in times past in Sunday school. <coughs> why, is Abel get, why is Abel better than Cain, right? Because he offered him a blood sacrifice, firstborn. Cain worked by the spread, sweat of his brow. It's, it's, it's works versus grace, at the very beginning. And it's not that God didn't love Cain. It's just like, Cain, you're not gonna really have anything to do with me if you think you can attain relationship with me by how hard you work. See, Abel understood somewhere down the line, offering the firstborn of his lambs, right? And so the first eon of time here is about sacrifice. The sacrifice of blood. And the understanding that before we go anywhere, if we ever have any type of relationship with God, there has to be a shedding of blood somewhere down the line. And there's not, it's not the rams and bulls anymore, or goats, or two turtle doves, nothing like that anymore. It is Jesus, <clears throat> right? He is the sacrifice. John, that's why John the Baptist is, people are having a hard time with that dude because he's, he's caught between two covenants. He's, a, he's, a, he's kind of a transition guy. Jesus is the initiator of the covenant, but John the Baptist is living from an old covenant but prophesying about the new one coming, which is why when he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, they're all like, what? Take away? Doesn't, you, no, you've got to keep doing this stuff. It doesn't, take away doesn't work. John the Baptist is prophesying about that, prophesies that Jesus is the one. Before you come into the kingdom, before anything else, there has to be a sacrifice of something. And it's either going to be the blood of Jesus or you're going to try and do it with something else. I'm just telling you that something else is not going to work. So the word of God is established here. By faith, Enoch, when he was taken away, did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For prior to his removal, he was approved since he had pleased God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So something about the faith of Enoch way back when <coughs> that God said, man, you're, re <laughs> come on. Now, the thing about e uh, Enoch is it's, it, you could be tempted in your flesh to say, oh, well, he died and God just took him. It's just a special, he didn't die. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, he didn't taste death, which means Enoch is not dead. He's, he's hanging out in heaven. He's coming back. He's one of the two witnesses that are going to be at the wall at the end prophesying. The reason he's coming back is so that he can die. And some people say, oh, we think Moses is going to be. Moses is dead. The second one is Elijah. Because he got taken up, right? Swing low, right? Sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. So I don't believe Elijah tasted death. He rode the chariot up. Elijah watched him go. Why isn't he dead? Why, don't, why didn't they bury him? Because he's coming back. See, it wasn't that, it, it wasn't that he's going to stay forever in the state of the end. As, as God is recognizing the faith of these two people and saying, you're not going to die until later on towards the end. I'm going to preserve you for, to be a wit two witnesses for me at the end. See, I don't think it can be Moses. I don't think it can be anybody else who's already died because you can't kill a resurrected <laughs> being. These two people have not tasted death and they will as two witnesses at the end. That's, that's my belief. That, it's, that, it's simple to me. So they're going to come back. They're going to be miracles, signs, wonders, crazy stuff happening. Uh, if you're alive at that time, you're going to be like, whoa. And we were worried about prophesying. Look at those dudes, right? Crazy. But then they'll die, and then they'll be resurrected, okay? So, uh, but it was their faith that God looked at Enoch and said, come on up. He took him, and he was not. Why? What kind of faith did he have? The Bible even describes that. He says to him, he says, for, his prior, for prior to his removal, he was approved since he had pleased God. How do you please God? You can please God, but how do you do it? <coughs> it's by your faith growing to believe 
the bigger things that God has called. He believed that God existed. He believed what, what, whatever God had said, he believed it. And it was a type of faith, I believe, that wasn't really existing on the earth. And so you would think, well, stay down there and preach it, right? Keep going, keep going. And God says, come on up. He's got a faith that transcends the ages. See, that belief, that strong belief of faith in God also produces itself out into a sanctified life today. Did you know that? Because the decisions that you make today should be wrapped around of who Jesus is, what he did, and how that plays itself out into your life. Which means, if I really believe in Jesus, I should not be going to the bar and getting drunk. If I really believe in Jesus and, I, and, and who he is and my faith, then I, there are some things that I'm, I'm not going to partake in, but I should not be defined about what I don't do. I should be defined about what my faith is doing through me for others and for the kingdom. See, the problem, what happened in the holiness movement back, way back in the early or middle 19th, 20th century, was that they started out good, but then they started be de- being defined about what they don't do, which means that if you want to be like us, you can't do this, 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 but you never really found out what you could do. You were always defined, if you're going to be holy, here's your list of 10 commandments of what not to do. It's more like thousands, but anyway, and so I don't want to be defined by what I don't do. I want to be defined by the faith and the glory of God that is in me that is, is, is projecting me forward into the kingdom of God, which means the things that I don't do are not necessarily for you, they're for me. But as we're going in the same direction, we're all going to look very similar as we're going in that same direction and faith and the glory of God working in the same ways through us going forward. So I may not go out and, and, and get drunk, that doesn't mean that God may not call me to go out to the bar and minister to the people who do. You see, right now, there's some holiness that's rising up saying, I don't think that's right. You'd have a hard time with Jesus then. I mean, he hung out with tax collectors and he hung out with sinners. You're like, well, I'm okay with that. No, no you wouldn't be back then. Because you'd be a Sadducee or a Pharisee, and you'd be defined by this is what we do, and this is what we don't do to remain holy. Right? And Jesus is like, I'm holy, I can do what I want. See, when the holiness of God is upon you and in you, you don't get stained by other people's sin. You, actually, the power of God goes out you, from you to convict them and bring holiness and righteousness and salvation to them not stain you. This is why the woman with the issue of blood touches him. You know the story. She's not supposed to even be around. She's had an issue for 12 years. She is defiled by the law. She can't be in community covenant relationship with anybody. She has to be by everywhere she sits and everything she touches is defiled. Yet some way she's climbing through men to touch the hem of the garment of a holy rabbi. No. If she thought he was just a rabbi, she'd have never touched him. She knew there was something different by the things of how he lived and the power that went forth from him and the people he touched that when they came in contact with Jesus, even the demons left without him really having to say much. Even the demons would come begging at his feet, please don't torment us before the appointed time. Right? Throw us in some pigs. <laughs> something. Please don't, please Jesus, don't beat me up. Right? That's what demons do when they come into the presence of Almighty God. Please don't hurt us. Woman crawling through, by the letter of the law, she defiled him. But by the glory of God, he purified her. To the point where it's like, hey, who touched me, man? <laughs> Imagine Jesus maybe having a moment. Woo! Felt the power go. Who touched me? Who touched me? Because he was surrounded by a bunch of people where power was not going out from. 
touch, 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 touch. He's walking, but there was something, maybe they were touched, but there was something about this lady's faith that he had to stop and recognize because it, it, was, it, was, it was establishing a principle, right? It was establishing a principle. You all can touch me. You, you may have a limp, but you're not defiling, and you can walk away whole with, with your limp or whatever. But lepers and the lady with an issue of blood, nobody else wanted to be around. So when she's crawling through and he's like, who touched me? Because we're about to establish a faith principle here. One, she was a woman, which you know did not have a very high level of credibility in those days and was not looked upon very favorable. She wouldn't even be able to testify in a court of law. But in heaven's court, (laughs) her testimony brings weight. And the power goes out, and she's healed. Every, she'd been to physicians. They'd done everything they possibly could for her. Nobody could do nothing. Have you ever been in that point where nobody could do anything in your circumstance? I'm telling you, get like that lady. Get low. Crawl where you got to crawl and grab the hem. Don't give up. Don't rationalize yourself out of faith. Because she could have done the very, she could have said, there's a lot of guys around there. I don't know how I'm going to get through. You know what? I'll wait till the next time he comes around. Maybe there won't be so many people. No, no. No, no. You got to gate crash that. I don't care how many people are around him. You, you got, I mean, go over the top. Some people came down through roofs. I mean, it's like we're getting to Jesus some way. Even a Gentile mother is down at, hey, will you help my daughter? It's, you know, breadcrumbs. I got to eat. You know, I only give what to the Jews. Well, even the, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the table. Oh, man, faith, your daughter's healed. I'm going to have to go there. Right? And she's healed. The centurion and the servant, he should not be dealing with Romans and Gentiles. But sometimes when faith is so strong and people are so confident, they get something from God in a moment of time that maybe wasn't even intended to be so at that moment. But God responds to faith. All of the sudden, people turn, directions turn, and, and God recognizes. They've crawled. You are God. You are who you <clears throat> My whole life, everything. I bet the farm on who you are. I know you're not going to let me down. I just gotta, you don't even have to speak to me. I'll just touch your pinky. Whatever. Because power exudes from him. The glory exudes from him and touches. We don't have a a lack of Jesus in the world today. We don't have a lack of glory in the world today. We have a lack of belief in the world today. I told you this, I think, yes, last Sunday. When Jesus, when Jesus was, he's, when I come back, will I even find faith on the earth? Right? What's he talking about? Faith in Christianity? No. Will I find the type of faith that draws stuff out of me? See, people don't like this, this type of talk. I'll tell you why. Maybe some of you are uncomfortable right now. You're like, oh, you're getting to this or you're getting to that. No, no. I'm just reading the Bible. If the Bible was true and the word of God was true for that lady who crawled through with the issue of blood, why can't it be true for me today? He's the same God. He changeth not for the King James only people out there in the world. Okay? He doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's the same, then what has changed? Only our faith. Our, our faith to believe. See, again, we sit, a lot of times we sit there and we watch what happens to other people and we sit as a cheerleader saying, yay, that's awesome, so good, but he'll never do it for me. He won't do it for me, but good for you. I'm, I'm not worthy. I, I, I just, I don't this. I, we, we, we stand like Moses at the burning bush. We've talked, I've said that before too, use that. Come with all different kinds of excuses of why God can't use me or do the things through me that he desires to do. We don't have a lack of glory. God hasn't turned off the spigot. You just ain't turned it on. And the reason we don't want to turn it on is because it becomes uncomfortable because now we're accountable for what we've turned on in our life. 
Now it's no longer just in this room where it's kind of comfortable because we all say we're believers. Now it's like the spigot is turned on when I go out to Walmart. Or the spigot has been turned on when I go to Sterling somewhere. Wherever I go, the spigot is turned on. And if the spigot is turned on and God is saying something through me, that I'm required with a choice of being obedient or disobedient. And I'd rather not face that choice. I'd rather just pretend it doesn't exist. Sadly, of the church today. But it's changing. And one of two things. Two things are going to happen. One, those who are sensing what God is going to do are going to get in that boat with him and are going to go sailing. Others are going to go find churches where they can be comfortable in so they don't have to face what God is doing. And not only that, but they'll they'll, they'll lob stones at the other boat. Oh, those guys are fake. They just do this. They'll look at every single thing they can to try and discredit what God is doing through them, just like the Pharisees did with Jesus. And so they'll lob those grenades. They'll be backbiting. Oh, they're this, they're that. And it's happened throughout time. It'll happen again. But let me tell you something. You do not want to be a part of that crowd because it doesn't go well with them in the end. Because what you're really doing is blaspheming the Holy Spirit and what he's doing. But you want to remain comfortable, so you've got to come up with some type of explanation. You've got to say, hey, it's, it's, it's wrong. That's not Jesus. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's the devil. You think that doesn't happen today? So you gotta, you gotta, this is what, you gotta take this faith and this is the foundation of your launching pad. This is, this is the beginning of faith. Miracles, signs, wonders, great things that God wants to do, that's not for you but through you. That's the beginning of your belief in who Jesus is. And, and we're struggling to get to the beginning of it, which is why later on he's like, hey man, you, you're, you're struggling with milky stuff. You should be on the meat meat of the word and we're thinking oh the meat of the word is good doctrine the meat of the word is being an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor being equipped to do stuff not sit there and just think kind things and judge those who don't believe the exact same way you do hear me out there internet world all right by faith Noah right Noah, this guy has never seen rain before. And God says, I'm going to flood the world. He's got to be like, with what? What Flood the world? Do you not know, God, that there's a water shortage? Right? Where are you going to get the water to flood the world? Build a boat. What is a boat? There's not even an ocean around us. God, why you got me building a boat? Build a boat. Okay. And this is what I'm going to do. This is how you build a boat. This is what you're supposed to do. So it's not about just the faith to believe that it'll do something. It's also the faith and obedience to follow through and do what he says until you get to the promised land. Because you've got to build the boat the right way. If you don't build the boat the right way, you're not gonna, it's not going to float. It's not even going to be a good submarine. It ain't going to move. It's just going to be down there sitting. Okay. And so you gotta, you gotta, you got to do what he says. So listen, this is what, he's got to build a boat. After he was warned, what had not been seen, yet motivated by godly field, build an ark to deliver his family. This is, I think this is why Jesus says, in the end times, it'll be like the days of Noah. Because of the wickedness on the earth. And everybody's going to start buying stock and yachts as we leave this. But I'm telling you, it's not about boats anymore. Because he ain't going to flood it again. It's the fire of God. You, listen, I'm going to step on toes. I know I am. Listen, I, the non-church world even recognizes what's going on. They just call it global warming. Okay, but the earth is groaning and, and moving because he's going, to, he's going to destroy it with fire. I don't think it's necessarily maybe just a match, but the glory of God that falls on this earth is going to consume, okay? 
And he says that the end times, it's going to be like the days of Noah, which means there's going to be wickedness absolutely everywhere. And right now, as we're beginning to see it, the church is like, oh my gosh, there, there's some wickedness. I wish it were the 1950s again. You know, can't we go back to Andy Griffith? Right? Right? Where the only bad thing we had was Otis, the drunk, right? Now we, we've got people that are saying things that they don't, they don't like us as Christians. They're, they're condemning. They're mean. I would stop worrying about what they say and build your ark. And, and what has got, listen, it's, it's not time to be fearful. It's been prophesied. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be on this generation of the earth, right? So I don't need to be surprised about what's happening. I can be excited about what's happening because I know, I know we're getting close. Now, I may not see it in my lifetime. That's okay. But my faith has not, is not diminished because I may not see it. My faith is strengthened because I know at some point my generations of maybe my kids or maybe the grandkids or something like that may see this. And I am, I'm wrapping all my decisions around what my faith and what the word of God and what the spirit of God tell me. So I'm preparing. Maybe I won't see the final thing, but you best believe I gotta prepare uh, my children and grandchildren because they may be going through some, some of those things. And just because we live in a small town, don't think you can hide from it. You can't hide from this stuff. This is why the, it talks about people are going to try and run and hide themselves in rocks and caves. Why? Because the enemy is going to flex his muscle like he hasn't been able to do since the fall. He's going to be given that permission. So things are gonna get a little bit darker, but that's okay. That means the light that is within you still repels the darkness. So don't be afraid of something that gets banished by the, this little light of mine that's gonna come forth. People say that you can see a match in complete darkness from 100 yards away. Just a little match, a little candle. You can see from 100 yards away in complete darkness. Imagine what your faith does in the darkness of the world. You can be bringing many sons and daughters into the kingdom by your little light. Imagine if you got serious and made it a bonfire. All of a sudden, you know how you feed that bonfire? Oh, man, that's flesh. Throw that on the flame. Burn, baby, burn. Let them see the glory, right? Burn, 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 burn. Let them see the glory of God revealed in me because I love him, and that's what he desires to do. And because you know what? When the darkness comes, people, some are going to be running to the light. not time to be fearful. All right, but we gotta have faith. Listen, do you believe that Jesus wins at the end? Yes. Then go sell everything and bet, your, bet everything on that. Because you don't get to take anything with you. Be, con be in your heart, be convinced of this. Because it's only the godly things that I've recognized in my life that he said to me, like, you're supposed to marry your wife, Right? Or you're you know, I, he, he told me back in 2003 that who I was going to marry, not by name, but the things that went along with it, and she filled everything. And I knew. You know, I didn't shake or was scared at all when I stood up and we're, we were doing our vows. There was no fear in me. You know how grooms, are, they get the shaky knees. Girls can get away with it because they got long dresses. You can't see the knees shake. But <laughs> guys with the tuxes, you know, you can see them shake it or something like that. I was beyond a shadow of doubt. There was no fear in me as I stood up there. There was happiness, stuff like that. But I needed that. I needed that because of the times that you go through as a married couple, of the world and the enemy trying to destroy your marriage. And you gotta know that you know that you know that divorce is never an option. When we got married, yeah, we're not getting divorced. Come hell or high water. I'm, we're not getting divorced. And that's not being prideful. That's being confident in what God has said. So that when those tough times come, and they do in, any, in those situations, you go back to what you knew. And you're like, no, no, God said it. We're not getting divorced. God said it. We're not getting divorced. So what's got to change? Well, God, we're going to change the circumstance. <laughs> if we're sad, we're going to get happy. If we don't think we like each other, we're going to start liking each other. 
because I know what God said and this is what's going to happen and it's going to work. And it's not just going to survive. It's not just going to, oh, thank God I got through 50 years with that woman. It's not going to be something like that. You know? And if you're thinking that, not shame on you, but correct it. Because that's not a, you're not pleasing God by staying married. You're pleasing God by enjoying staying married. You know? And don't, don't come here and clap and raise your hands and, and bring, say, talk about the glory of Jesus when you cannot be happy with your mate and what God has done. We got a lot of cranky Christians in the world and you ain't bringing God glory through your crankiness. You're not bearing a burden because you're married to that person. You're probably the burden. Sorry to bust your bottle. Okay? Why am I talking about this? Because it's the same in the kingdom of God. You know that you know that you know what the word of God says. And so I'm married to it. I'm not divorcing myself from it. So that way when tough time comes and people are going to say, you know, I don't know if I'll see it tonight, but, you know, uh, uh, curse God or die, right? It's sure happening in other places on, the, on this planet, in places like Mozambique or, right? Yeah, where they're running through chopping off the heads of pastors. So see, it's not like, are we going to get there? We're there. It's because you don't see it necessarily happening here. It's happening in other parts of the world where people are being faced with life and death decisions and they're, they're being told, you can live out the rest of your life in relative peace if you will give up this stupid idea of following Jesus. And they're like, no, I'm keeping Jesus. I'm keeping Jesus because I'm married to it and I know that I know that I know. My faith will not allow me to give up and I'd rather go into eternity into his arms than live 100 years on this earth without him. So Noah, he's building the ark. Why? Why is he building the ark? Because even though he doesn't understand it, doesn't know what it's going to look like, doesn't know how it's going to be done. He's betting the farm on God. It's like, I'm just going to build an ark. And by that faith, he, re- he, gave, he, he got a good testimony. It doesn't mean he lived perfectly. It doesn't mean he was sinless. He wasn't. But what it meant is that when the time came for him to stand for what God had called him to stand for, he stood for God. While being mocked for 100 years because he had faith. You know how easy it would have been to give up that silly idea of building the ark in the middle of a forest or a desert or wherever. And he built it. Now by faith. So that is, so you know, Noah's kind of, that eon is kind of a, a thing of redemption. I gotta do some destruction because of the wickedness of mankind but we're gonna build an ark and we're gonna carry you through it. You're gonna be redeemed through that. You're not gonna see destruction. As a matter of fact, I ain't even gonna put a window there so you can see what happens. You're gonna be housed in it. You're gonna be protected while everything else is dying. Talk about what faith produces in the life of the believer. See, sometimes it's get hot in this culture, doesn't it? People are yelling, people are mocking, people are doing this, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. You don't have to entertain their mocking. As a matter of fact, the, the mocking doesn't scare me. What scares me is when they leave this earth with that same mocking in their tone. Because they're going to understand when they take their last breath. So their mocking doesn't produce in me fear for me. It produces fear for them. You can, you can mock me all you want. Who am I? But what you're really doing is mocking and, and blaspheming the Lord. And there is forgiveness for that on this earth. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you know. The Spirit comes to convict you of sin and to show you who Jesus is. And what they were saying is that the spirit that he had on him was the devil. So they denied the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which would have led them to salvation. And they died in that state. And they would never see the heavenly sanctuary. 
That's blasphemy, is dying in that state of disbelief of what the Holy Spirit is trying to convict you of. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Abraham, we'll end with this one. There's more, but we'll, we'll close the book on this one for today. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. So this end for me, this description right for me is obedience. He obeyed and went out of the place where he was going to receive it as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in a land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise, for he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. It's like, see, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to make a life for himself. He wasn't moving because there was more opportunities or other things over in this other place. He was called because God said it. And he responded to God's call. That's what he did. You see, this place right here, this church, these surrounding communities are not a wasteland. They're promises waiting to be inhabited. It's easy to tuck and run unless God is calling you. But it's easy to look at the circumstance and the reality of what you're living in and say, oh man, the grass is greener over there. It is not. Unless God has called you for spiritual reasons. This place is a promised land waiting to be inhabited by those who are willing to hold on to faith and believe what God has spoken over this area. And then you know what? Receive a good testimony from it. Not in the eyes of man, in the eyes of God. Amen? All right, stand up. Hallelujah. Now is not the time to give up. Not is now not the time to entertain the spirit of doubt. Now is not the time to listen to anything else but what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to you through his word also. Now is not the, now is not the time to be looking to the left or the right. Now is the time to fix your, ace, your gaze straight on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, the beginning and the end, right? You got things that are going on. You, got, you are hard-pressed on every side, right? You feel like you've been beaten down, torn down, all these different kinds of things that have been happening. You're wanting to get out. You're wanting to move from it, but God is about to do some delivery, deliverance through you. See, if you run from it, you don't receive the inheritance of faith. But if you stay the course, there's a testimony of the faithfulness of God in the midst of what you're struggling Here's the word. Hold the line. Hold the line. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't go casual. <laughs> Don't look at what looks like the overwhelming forces of the enemy. Hold the line. You hold the line with your faith. You're like those, you're, you're going to be like those, those, those three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, man, my God can deliver me from this fire. No problem. But even if he doesn't, <laughs> I'd rather burn there than to believe, than to do what you say, O oh, king. Hold the line. Hold the line. He hasn't passed you by. He's not, he's not looking at you, and it, it, he's got his eye on you. Your faith is being tested. Your faith is being stretched. All these different, hold the line. Oh, it looks like overwhelming waves. Hold the line. How are we going to pay our bills? Hold the line. What are we going to do with those we love who don't believe like we do? Hold the line. What are we going to do with what the world's saying? Hold the line. What am I going to do about my kids? Hold the line. Hold it. Lock arms with other believers. Hold the line. 
It ain't done. We haven't even touched the glory that God is about to pour out in drawing people unto himself. Hold the line. Don't give in. Don't give up. And don't settle for less. Hold the line. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife@aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.